0: Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Denison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of A Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delisio. Joined, as always, Sebastian Denison.
1: Feels like it's been a minute, Mike.
0: It has been a minute. Uh, I don't know why, but it, it's felt like it's been a gap. Um, we appreciate all of our patience to all of our audience out there. And, you know, we crossed the 100 episode mark, and, and that was a big milestone for us. And, and here we are with 101. And we have
1: a returning guest.
0: We do. Someone who has been on the podcast before. Um, I know we've leaned on her experience relating to thyroid in the past, um, adrenal support, things of that nature. Um, Obviously, no stranger to the BHRT world and and a speaker at at many of our conferences relating to hormones, none other than our clinical services manager, Sarah Hover. Welcome back, Sarah.
2: Thank you. So excited to be here with you guys again.
0: No, thanks for being here as well. I was trying to cycle back to think of some of the other prior episodes that you had the chance to be with us on and more importantly I, I called attention to the fact that you've you've been a prominent speaker at our hormone events and and that's the reason why we wanted to bring you back in today was really talking about testing overall lab values getting a better understanding on modality and everything else and I know Sebastian and yourself are both experts in this realm so it's going to be really interesting to hear how the conversation goes but Given both of your roles, and I'll, I guess I'll tee this up for the both of you, you deal with this very, very often, right? This is probably one of the most common requests that we get that are you know, HRT-related through the clinical services team is when people have questions on lab values, and and, and it's also a really big talking point when we teach at, at our symposiums and conferences. So where would you like to start? Because this is a really big topic. Um, I mentioned off air that we can probably go down a million different bunny trails. You know, maybe Sab I'll kick it off to you. Where do you want to kind of lay off the topic and just give people a better understanding of what's out there and and then we can talk more about the specifics?
1: well, I, I, I kind of wanted to start with Sarah's done her a four m fellowship. and so she is truly an expert in this field and and you as well. well, yeah, but i'm I'm talking up Sarah first. Because she's she's got this really unique breadth of um, experience from education, but also from her practice. So she's been able to actually not just learn it, but incorporate it and do consulting. And so there's a lot more detail here. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on specific lab values, et cetera, because I think that that's going to miss the point of this discussion because Sarah you know, you, you understand like how much information is there. And so I kind of wanted to say, we're going to kind of stick more to the top three that we discuss and sort of a a generalized perspective on it and, and kind of push it back to Sarah in the sense of like, where do you see it fitting in is, is kind of a bigger question of, of like, how does testing fall into the clinical practice of HRT? Just very simply.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a combination of approaches. Um, I've worked with some physicians in the past that strictly looked at lab values, didn't look at anything else. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, I had physicians that only looked at symptoms and never checked labs. I really think the patient benefits the best when we marry those two. We need to know how the patient's feeling and look at their labs at the same time. And it's Um, it's very complicated. It's not, it's not super easy. And I, I I think that's um, why a lot of, you know, a lot of our members call into our team to, to help have them have us help them out because it's, um, it's a complex problem to figure out.
1: And and really, and truly, like you said, practitioners look at lab values and they're like, okay, well, clearly there's, there's a problem. Um, And fundamentally, I think this is where we run problems immediately is what, what do we, historically see practitioners using for their labs
2: typically they're looking at serum and and you know it's it's the gold standard it's how they were trained and you know you think about you know any of the training that you had in pharmacy school that's where we're most comfortable is what we learned um, it's a little scary when we start um, having to go outside that comfort zone and learn something different um, and you mentioned a4m when i would go to their conferences as i was doing my fellowship. I would have one practitioner talk about serum. The next one would talk about um, dried urine, and then the next one would talk about saliva. And you know your head's just spinning when you come out of those meetings trying to figure out what what you know which direction do I go. Um, and I, I think it's um I think we're fortunate that we have those different modalities, and it's just figuring out exactly when to when to utilize them to to benefit the patient. But most doctors, you look at serum and, and when we're looking at what's going on in our body, then that is certainly a great measure. It's when we start treating that things get a little, a little off, off kilter a bit.
1: And so when you get your first set of labs from a practitioner, what do you historically see? And what are you almost looking for? And not, not too deep into this one, but just, you know, the, the sort of high level.
2: Yeah, I mean, I um, hopefully that there's there's all the information that I'm looking for. That's uh, the first thing. Many times um, there are uh, missing components that really help. Um, but just just in general, overall looking, you know, it's it's not necessarily whether something is in range or out of range. You know, because especially with serum labs. The, their normal ranges are the uh, uh, compilation of their patient population that aren't necessarily healthy. Um, so, you know, there's a difference between what's quote unquote normal and what's optimal. Um, I've had even friends and family like, oh no, my doctor said everything's everything's normal. And I look and I'm like, well, yeah, it's normal, but it's not necessarily idea or optimal. And that's what I used to explain to my patients is I look at it through a little bit of a different lens to try to optimize their health. Because you know out, outside of hormones, you know, there's many other things that, you know, we don't go from normal function to dysfunction overnight. It's just slowly, we slowly slip away. And it's in that process that a lot of times we can make some impact.
1: And, and I guess that, that is a really important piece is for a lot of these patients, they're showing up at the doctor's office or their uh, provider's office and saying, I feel terrible. And then they get back a result and they're like, well, you're within range. So there's nothing wrong. It, it's like, but I feel terrible. <laughs> it's, it doesn't marry symptoms to numbers necessarily.
2: Correct. Correct. yeah, that that happens a lot. um and and it's almost in my opinion, sometimes better when the labs come back and they are really, really off. It's like, okay, this explains how you're feeling, and there's things that we can do. It's when there's just those slight nuances that's you know are a little off that um, it makes it a little more complex.
1: And so once you get back this initial result and it confirms and you've got this this plan, how do you how do you translate that into dosing or or is there any sort of recommendations that you have
2: yeah that's where we um we developed a um actually, we just updated after one of our seminars, our evaluation profile. So gathering all the data, looking at history, um, you know, just trying to find out, especially for, you know, a female that's going through menopause, you know, what was her cycle like when she was younger? What were her pregnancies like? Really trying to get a, a picture of what's going on because, you know, even though we have even if an ideal or optimal range, it might not necessarily be optimal for my body versus the next female's you know, body. So what our bodies normally produce when we were younger is where we will feel more like ourselves. And so we don't really know those numbers um, off the bat. So kind of getting an idea of some history um, is super helpful to start to put the pieces together. And then
1: once we start dosing, how does this change your understanding of the values that you're seeing in front of you, especially with serum?
2: Yeah, so especially if we're applying hormones through the skin, um, we don't always see that translate into the the serum or the blood blood levels. And um, I mentioned earlier the three different types of testing, um, it's um, sometimes we have to look at those other other modalities to um, to really capture what's going on at, at the tissue level. Um, my preference for um, for someone that's applying hormones topically is to look at saliva. That's where I've seen the most consistent results um, that makes sense with how they're feeling. Um, I like to look at a urine test when we're trying to really figure out how is our body metabolizing those hormones? Because that's, that's super important to know. Maybe there's other things that we need to you know, give the patient to help them um, properly metabolize everything. So the the urine is, is important for that. There are some practitioners that are dosing based on urine results. And um, I think I have just more to learn there. Um, the, um, and that's, that's the beauty of, of what I've, embarked on with is, I basically specialize in women's health a little bit with men, but primarily women is just, it's a constant learning. I mean, what I recommended, you know, three years ago, five years ago, it's different today because we're constantly learning new, new things, new information that, um, is, is helping us help patients, um, even better.
1: And now, so once we start dosing and and I guess the, the bigger question is why you said topical versus oral. Can you jump on that one a little bit? Because yeah, absolutely. Learning this from short term, they're gonna go find more education. But they're like, wait, what? What was
2: that? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of commercial products out there, and a lot of patients do fine with you know all different delivery systems. My professional and personal preference is to only use estrogen through the skin. Um, when we um, take estrogen orally and any any of the dosage forms, um, the, what our body has to do to process that, um, I, the, the literature points me in the direction that that's not the direction we need to go, um, just from those metabolites from it, taking it orally. Now, again, there are plenty of women that have taken oral estrogen for 20 plus years and, you know, swear by it. a lot of doctors um, prefer that. It's just my professional opinion is I don't recommend oral estrogen. And, um, and there's a lot of literature that, that um, kind of backs that up.
1: And, and when you're looking at results though, do you see it reflected differently if they're taking an oral dose versus a topical dose in, in the serum results or versus the, the saliva results?
2: You definitely see a difference, um, whether how the route of administration for your hormones. Um, And I think that's where sometimes we get um, get in trouble with with overdosing. Is you know, like I said, it's gold standard to look at serum. So doctors are just that's their norm. That's how they feel comfortable, and so they're checking serum and they're not seeing it because after it goes through the skin, it's going through capillary systems, it's going through lymphatics, it's getting to that target tissue. It's not necessarily hanging out in the serum for very long. So depending on when they dosed it last to when they test can vary the results that you see. Um, But it um, so I think sometimes they like oh well your levels are low. Let me, let me give you more. And so they keep increasing and increasing the dose. Um, Symptoms of too much hormone, too much estrogen is almost identical to not enough. And so then that, that starts this vicious cycle of, well, I'm having hot flashes. Oh, your levels are low. Let's double your dose. Let's double your dose. And next thing you know, you're way higher than you need to be. And what's going on at the tissue level is different.
1: And I think that this also plays into why urine can be a very powerful tool when dosing in both forms, because you can definitely see the active metabolites that are being pushed out and how it's being processed. Um, My understanding, and going back to your comments about oral estrogens as well as oral testosterone, the metabolites is telling me what the body, how it's dealing with it and getting rid of it. But more importantly is how effectively and what sort of problems may occur when when you start looking at those metabolites. And did you have any comments there about the some of the metabolites we see in urine? Because th- this is sort of a discussion point.
2: Right. No, absolutely. And, and there is, there is data looking at specific estrogen metabolites and a a ratio between there's quote unquote good metabolites versus bad metabolites. Um, there are some supplements that help us metabolize it to the good metabolites versus the bad metabolites, but sometimes just our makeup, like we just, you know, either, either our diet or stress or other things going on. We're just, um, just not, um, metabolizing them the same way, or we're poor methylators and we can't methylate the the estrogen. So there's there's a whole variety of things that can be going on. But it's I think it's important, especially if we have any sort of um family risk, you know, health history that um, we would be concerned with hormones. I think doing a urine test just to kind of see what's going on is is helpful.
1: And I guess I guess the reason that I was asking that question is because now I'm going to kind of set up this question for you um, and the answer. Um, how do you see the best way to test your patients kind of from start to finish and monitoring and dosing and then sort of ongoing maintenance? Because we can't get into too many details, but you know, where do you see sort of the the value of each one of those fitting in?
2: Yeah, so I think if someone is still having, and again, sorry, going back to females, but if you're still having normal cycles, um, I think doing a serum test is fine just to kind of see what's going on, see what your norms are. Um, but once we kind of get through that perimenopause and get into menopause and we're we're replacing hormones, then I like to do the the saliva. But as before we're getting started with that, I like to do the urine just to kind of see what is our metabolism like. Um, but as far as following a patient, i my preference is is with saliva,
1: so Mike, I'm going to get you to jump in here because I'm sure you have lots of questions about testing because we've talked about this with Bruce. We've talked about this with um, our kind of our own discussion just about testing and supplements and stuff. What are your thoughts? Like what, as a, as someone who follows this, where do you kind of have sort of gaps in knowledge that you want to have
0: a better understanding? Cause I can ask different questions than you. No, I, I think I'm probably coming in as more of an observer and feeling as the patient. So I've, I've heard so many discussions on lab values, <clears throat> modalities of testing, what's right, what's wrong what's trending, what people are doing, what physicians are recommending. Is there a baseline value set? So like, is it also under, based on under the assumption that some lab results are not complete, that depending on where they're coming from, sometimes it doesn't tell the full picture? And that might just be a very basic question. But um, how many times or more often than not is everyone getting a really full picture? Because I've seen even requests from certain labs that it's a full panel and then you get back incomplete results. So, I'm just jumping in with a completely random question. So, are there certain things that you're looking for to tell or paint that full picture?
2: Yes, most of the time when I'm requesting labs, I will tell a patient or you know another practitioner if if the doctor's office just checks off a panel more than likely, everything I'm going to want is not in that "quote unquote" panel, um, and it, and it can vary from lab, you know, lab company to lab company as to what their their panels are. But usually, the things that I'm looking for are a little bit outside the box. Um, Obviously the things in the panel are also very helpful, but a lot of times there's little pieces outside of those panels that, um, that I specifically want to look at. And just to give an example, thyroid, um, thyroid is a good example of that because, um, you know, just a thyroid panel, it's not going to look at T3. It's not going to look at reverse T3. It's not going to look at antibodies. So usually there's a whole list of other things that I, that I want to see, um, most recently, I've had several members you know, send in their lab results and um, the doctor only checked for total estrogen. Not estradiol, not estrone, just total estrogen. And um, that does not give us a full picture. And I, I relate it back to them and say, that's like if they did a total cholesterol and didn't do HDL and LDL, your good and bad cholesterol doesn't really tell us anything. So many times there are gaps in in the labs and it just, it takes a good patient to request those things um, or know those things to ask, make sure, or, you know, or a pharmacist to really, Hey, Hey doc, I really need this, this, and this tested. Um, So it's, it's, it's a, it's a team approach. You know, I think the patient, the physician and the pharmacist all working together to help that patient, but sometimes we have to ask for certain things.
0: Wouldn't that be the same for men. And I think that's where Sebastian was alluding to Bruce. Bruce Biondo, a member of our clinical services team, covered this in the same detail. You, you constantly hear commentary from men's health that, oh, they checked my free testosterone or my total. And total testosterone is reported, and you're like, yeah, I'm at 850. But what does that mean if you don't feel great? Correct. So then going back to your commentary of managing or marrying the symptoms with other lab values that are probably not being presented. And that's always been a conundrum, I guess, for, for most. And I think those that are jumping in to, you know, hormone health and patients and doctors, the, is there a benchmark? I guess I should ask both of you. Is there a set standard of what should be tested? And do we provide that? Because I feel like most people would be lost, who, especially those that are starting off. I, I, I'm going to yeah. jump in first because I, I, did I, I, both I know, of you no, no, unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I'm going to be very gracious that I got to say, number one, depending upon your practice and some of your experience and your education, it's going to change some of those questions. And when you sometimes call into clinical services, we'll be like, Hey, did you happen to get this? And I need you to call back and get that information. So it, it's kind of tough because we also don't want to step overstep. And sometimes the patient's symptoms don't align with what we're seeing. And so we're asking for more information. Sometimes it, it, they've got a great panel in front of you and you don't need more. But benchmarks, generally we look at the individual hormones and men, like, and a, de, depending on how you want to go with men, I'm going to jump on this one. I prefer test, free testosterone, total testosterone. I also like an estrogen level, personally, estrone, estradiol, uh, and ferritin levels because that's going to tell me a lot of where they're starting, especially when I start dosing with testosterone. And then when you're overdosing, all of a sudden those go really crazy and you see it there before you'll see it in necessarily other places in men. And then when you're also talking about urine, ooh, depending upon the company, you're going to have different metabolites that are going to be presented in different different perspectives. So that I would say first and foremost, before you get heavily into testing and asking too many questions, education. That's got to be the first part. So Sarah, I don't know if that was diplomatic enough, but I'm gonna pass it back to you because I could see you've got no. a lot.
2: <laughs> no, I I think that was great. Um, you know, for um for for women, you know, I like to look at you know their estradiol, progesterone, testosterone free and total. Um, sex hormone binding globulin, that's the one that kind of binds up the hormones and for that, add that to the men's panel that Seb mentioned as well, because that's how, you know, whether it's free or, or, you know, the, the, that's the difference between the total and the free testosterone is that binding globulin, um, You know, I was, I was like to get into the thyroid because I think that that all goes hand in hand, even with men's health. Um, there's, there's some studies showing that low thyroid can lead to low testosterone. So optimizing a man's thyroid is just as important. Um, so vitamin D. I mean, there's so many things. Um, I can have this. Let's wish here's a wish list. list of yeah. every, <laughs> everything that I want. Yes.
1: Yes. If if you talk to some of the A4M providers, they have even a longer list. Yeah. There's like some big ones that we want, and there's some modalities. So you're you're asking a tough
0: question. I because- know. I and maybe like I said, coming in as an observer or patient, you know, it probably seems so easy. It's like, why not just test for everything? To give you that full picture, or maybe that's a message to the to the lab companies of just creating the most comprehensive
1: a six point test, the twenty eight yeah. point test, a multi multi uh, point daily cortisol test. Like, yeah, but there's limitations.
0: I think the biggest takeaway is what you said, Seb, that the education piece. So, like, if you're not educating yourself and not staying on top of every little thing, it makes it very difficult to treat the patient.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it, it is a message to all those out there that there is a ton of understanding. It's not looking at a diagnostic report from, you know, a car or a computer and just saying, oh, well, I spotted it. That's it. Let's fix it and be done with it. There is way more behind the scenes. And, and, and- oh, sorry, Sarah. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I, I like for my patients to be educated as well. So I always encourage my patients to read as much as possible. And then I kind of helped fill in the gaps, but if they can understand what's going on with their body, um, they can describe things better to you so that you can help fine tune it. So education on not only the pharmacist level, but also the patient level.
1: But also dealing with providers who may not understand why you're requesting those specific tests or those specific modalities of tests, um, that education piece helps shore up your uh, educated opinion. Because sometimes I've had physicians say, well, there's no value in saliva. There's no value in this this type of testing. I don't know why you're asking. And sometimes you have to be the advocate for the patient. And the only way you can do that is to be well-educated on those different modalities and purposes. So
2: that was it. I, yeah. I had I had what I had one of my one of my doctors that I worked with on on a regular basis I had started looking at vitamin D way before it was a big thing. And so I was suggesting to his patients, hey, next time you go in, why don't you ask them for vitamin D? So finally he was like, Sarah, why are you asking my patients for vitamin D? And I was like, Oh my gosh, doctor, here's like all this information. And I sent it to him. So man, that then that became that became a standard. And now it is a standard for even, you know, regular medical professionals to check vitamin D. So um, yes, educating your physicians on why you're asking those things is super important. So
1: Now, are there any resources that you have off the top of your head, Sarah, regarding education or finding this information?
2: Well, PCCA has a great education team. Um, There's HRT events. I think Mike mentioned that I'm a frequent uh, speaker. Um, So it's um, and there's several um, we always education team always brings in great, you know, prescribers and doctors to help educate along with um, members from, from our team to to help our members. Um, But yeah, there's, and then there's some online courses. I know there's, um, a C4 course on HRT and there's a specific one for men's. So there's, there's lots of education um, through PCCA.
1: I also do reach out to some of the testing companies because they actually have a lot of references and literature and sometimes they'll have education events as well. They'll also have um, access to information online. So they're, they're really good resources. Finding one that you like um, is also a difficult one because sometimes I've gotten back reports and I'm like, this isn't making sense and this doesn't jibe with what we've learned um, or necessarily works with in the scope of the practice that we're we're in. Whereas other providers or other testing providers can also be uh, more in line with you. And sometimes they, they just work differently for you. So depending upon where you are. So reach out to your individual testing companies once you've got a little bit more education then. Ask them how they present it and get information directly from them. If they're adverse to giving it to you, move on. There's a ton of
0: testing companies out there. Would you feel open discussing those in in regards to who do you think has positioned themselves quite well in the marketplace? <laughs> and I, I, that's a big question to ask. But you know, openly without promoting anybody specific, we don't have any affinity to any testing company. But where have you seen you know positive? patient interaction, you know, simplicity, um, comprehensive hormone panels that have led a pharmacist and a physician on a much easier path.
1: I'm going to let you answer this one, Sarah, because I know you, you're you going to be doing a presentation on this one sometime in the near future, and I don't want to throw details in there that aren't appropriate for your presentation.
2: I mean, in my practice, I, I mainly worked with with ZRT labs for saliva testing. Um, I what I really like about their um, they have a great questionnaire, and again, to match up those symptoms with the results. And if the symptoms don't match up the results, then they will um they will retest. And um, they also have a great clinical team that um, if something's just not making sense, um, they, are, they will pick up the phone and talk to you. Um, so they they have been fabulous to, to work with. There are other saliva, saliva test companies out there as well, um, but that's the one that I have the most experience with. Um, what I'm also seeing a lot with the dried urine is the Dutch test, um, which is the dried urine total comprehensive um, hormone panel. Um, and their report, reports are pretty um and in, um inclusive and um detailed uh, i'm still in the process of learning more about that so um there's another uh, member on my team Rennell, has really um dove into um and attended many of their their lectures to learn more about that so Renell usually presents on the the dry urine testing but i'm in the process of learning more
1: in, in canada rocky mountain analytical is great uh and dr george gilson out in vancouver has got a really good urine uh testing program as well so those are a couple for you Canadian listeners uh, unfortunately if you're beyond the borders of North America I do not want to give any wrong information so
0: yeah and, and w- it, the question was not meant to put you both on the spot and show you your favorite but I think you know putting myself in the listener's perspective for those that are brand new looking to start like who should what they should be looking at and uh it could be a, a good opportunity to get them on a podcast one day as well um, Ooh, to, to share what they've seen and you know their experience in this field. And I know with Vegas HRT right around the corner, or just past, whatever that may be, uh, the reality is uh, we'll, we'll definitely have deeper conversations and hopefully get some of them involved one day to add a bit more information and experience to the conversation too.
1: And, and by the way, I totally 100% agree with Sarah. Thyroid testing for everyone, why not? Getting a TSH, getting a free T3, free T4, um, reverse T3. If they're really stressed out, that's always good. That's usually, to me, that's the check engine light. Back to your comment, the check engine light when it comes on, that's your thyroid. When it starts going dysfunctional, you know you've got lots of problems coming behind you, and you can see all of your hormones just go chaotic from there. So.
0: Anyways, just a sidebar. Encouraging. <laughs> Sarah's like, let me talk about thyroid. I love thyroid. I think we've already done it, but not in that capacity. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> she's she we can see her face and she's just laughing away at us. So um any other thoughts, Sarah about testing that you kind of want to want to cover off or anything else that you want to add at this point?
2: You know, I think just just the big brush strokes of emphasizing that it's it's a a combination of how a patient is feeling, along with their their labs, um, we have to have to make sure we're looking at all of that. Um, asking the right questions of your patients. Um, I was just looking over a report earlier that I'm going to call the member back after we get off this podcast, and um, the right question was on the form. The patient didn't answer it correctly. So um, really making sure that you're getting all the important information out of your patients um, is is critical. And I think that's where education, educating the the patients is important. Um, I've talked to some members that really spend a lot of time, you know, with that education piece. And so figuring out how you can streamline that um, since there's only one of you. Um, to have, you know, be able to, to be effective with your consultations. Um, I think trying to streamline some of your education because you have to educate your patients.
1: And I, and I'm going to kind of add a weird analogy. Um, it's like flying a plane. Having test results is like having airspeed and altitude and direction, but it's not telling you anything about the, the weather conditions of where you're going. It's not giving you any direction that you want to go. And it's certainly not telling you about what's in front of you and with respect to the geography or topography. You're flying, you're flying, but that doesn't give you any context to where you want to go or what you want to do with that uh, position. So it is important to use
0: multiple modalities and better education.
1: There you go. That's it.
0: Well, you, I think you both were uh, extremely knowledgeable on the topic. And I have a feeling that a lot of our members who listen to this We'll probably reach out to clinical services to learn more specifically from the both of you. You know, you mentioned Rennell, uh, another amazing expert that we have on our team. Mark, that, Nat, yeah, there's Bo, The list goes on Trish. and on. They're all awesome. Yeah, all of you. And I know a lot of the requests do come through post-podcast. So Sarah, I really appreciate you jumping on and, and discussing this. It was a cool topic, something that we haven't really addressed in the last five years. Um, and it definitely adds a bit more depth and information. Without even attending an event, so it's it's kind of just learning some of the basics and and some of the things that you have seen, not only having your own practice but being a member of our team as well.
2: Yep, enjoy enjoyed the conversation. It's it's an important one and it's one dear to my heart. So thanks for asking me on.
0: No, always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Seb. Woohoo for all the information that you both bring in. I'm I'm I feel like I'm in a weird spot being with uh, two. Uh, Two graduates from A4M in functional medicine and and, and, all the, and all the knowledge that you guys have been exposed to. So this is a weird one for me to kind of just hang back and, and witness. But nevertheless, thank you both. And thanks to our audience for tuning into this amazing episode. As always, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss the upcoming episode. And, and last but not least, uh, follow us along on social media, whether that's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, this is Mike Delisio, and thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon.